The reason I wanted to sing that was one, just to worship, but also um, to put those lyrics back up there, Lauren, the chorus. It says, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there's nothing better than you. Over and over and over again. I remember hearing somebody say this when they were leading worship, and um, they just asked people that were, were there, like, do we believe that? And, and I would even ask the question uh, this morning, are we living that way? And, and as I challenge us, and I challenge you to think about that and keep those lyrics up there, you know, I want us to know this morning that uh, first and foremost, our identity and who we are is all based on the cross of Jesus Christ. That through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are uh, the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. We are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We are a son or a daughter of the King. Like that is all through the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. Like that doesn't change. Once you put your faith in Jesus, like that is, is rock solid. Like you belong to Him. Like I want you to know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, like you 100%, like if you put your faith in Jesus, you belong to Him. Like when God sees you, He sees you through the Son. Okay, but like when it comes to our lives, to challenge you a little bit, are we living our lives out of worship? And just in awe, like every part of our lives, just saying, there's nothing better than you. Like I was talking to uh, Jeff and Danette Johnson, and, and Jeff said this, um, I think it was him, who said, constantly wanting to, to see the church live, uh, take it Sunday into Monday and the rest of the week. To have our lives as followers of Jesus that, that aren't just based on, on these moments when we're together, but every single moment of our lives living this way, like there's nothing better than you. And it's very practical. Because as you go throughout your day, if you are living a life of worship, when you're going into the store, when you're going into school, when you're going home, it's not like, okay, me on the throne, it's Jesus on the throne, and there's nothing better than you, so I'm coming in with a posture of expecting and seeking first your kingdom and not my own. Living a life wholeheartedly for God. That's how we take the words of that song and put it into practice. It's Cece sitting on the airplane with headphones on. Like, I've never had one of those moments. I'm always jealous of people who have those conversations. I've wanted those conversations, and I just don't have any of those conversations on an airplane. Uh, but she also travels more than me. But it's, it's taking the headphones off of your ears and saying, you know what? I would love to sleep right now. I would love to relax. It's been a long week. But you know what? I'm going to take off my headphones because there's nothing better than you. And I want to ask you this morning, in a loving way, you guys know that I love you, that I care for you. Has there been anything in your life that has crept in that maybe you would say or even your life would say that has become better than Jesus? It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's His kindness that knocks on the door of your heart that says, you know what? That thing in your life, and only you know Allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart. But it's the Lord who says, you know that thing in your life that you think is so great? It's actually robbing you of life. And I want to walk with you and I want to know you more. Is there anything in your life that has gotten in the way? Or are you living these lyrics? Are you living this Monday through Sunday? Because that's the goal. That's the desire like for me, for all of us in this room to, to, to say, Jesus, you are our king. I'm living for you 100%. 
No matter where I go, it's you that I'm seeking, you that I'm hungering for. You know, as we live this way, we see the kingdom come in powerful ways. Just this week, Rick was uh, referring to it. I, uh, we went to, over 20 guys, went to a farmhouse here in Zealand, gathered for dinner to send Christopher off to, um, to turn himself in. And in that moment, it's a moment I'll never forget. We gathered for dinner. We had a wonderful dinner. And then we gathered and prayed with him. Like, laid hands on him. I've been dealing with a cough all week. But we laid hands on him in the middle of the farmhouse restaurant. And like, pray, like really prayed. And that, as other people were having dinner and stuff like that, like, <clears throat> that, threw, that blew me away. Like, that's the kingdom coming in powerful ways. That's, that's men getting outside of themselves and saying, you know what, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom of God coming in powerful ways. Like, what about you? Like, are you living with this expectation? Are you living with this desire to see the kingdom come? Or are you seeking your own interest? Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Get through this cough. So, Luke chapter 12. And I think the Lord is inviting us this morning to live a life that is not divided. A life that is, is so focused so obsessed with seeing the kingdom come in powerful ways. Verse 22 of Luke chapter 12, and we've been talking about what it means to, to have this kingdom culture, and we've looked at a lot of different verses that talk about the kingdom, but uh, here in Luke chapter 12, famous words, says this, Jesus said to his disciples, so he's talking to his inner circle, his people, he was talking to a crowd. He was talking to thousands, it says, at the beginning of Luke chapter 12. So many people were there that they were pushing, trying to push through to get to Jesus. And here now, Jesus is just talking to his disciples. And before this, he had shared a story because he was interrupted because a gentleman said, hey, Jesus, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And Jesus is like, you know what? Like that inheritance, like there's there's already rules that talk about that. And, and Jesus uses that as an example, as, a, as an opportunity to tell a story. And the story that he tells is a man who had uh, barns and he uh, had uh, fields. He's a rich man. And the fields produced, it says, Jesus said, the, the fields produced a huge crop. And this man was just uh, living in luxury because of this huge crop that the field produced. And so he's like, I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to fill these barns with all of this stuff. And, and once he did that, it says that he kicked up his feet. Jesus said he relaxed. And then God's response to that was looking at him and saying, you fool, tonight your life is going to be required of you. And the man died. That was Jesus' story to the crowd. Like, and he says, like, don't live a greedy life. Don't live a life that is focused on you. And so then he goes to his disciples, to his inner circle, and this is what he said. After telling that story, he says, therefore I tell you, verse 22, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are they, are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? 
So Jesus starts and he says, don't be anxious. Don't worry about your life. Which is like, I found it interesting that you talked about this guy who, who died in a moment. And then Jesus is like, ah, don't worry about your life. You know, your life can be taken at any moment. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will wear. And, and here what's interesting is these disciples that he's talking to had given up everything to follow him. So they didn't know where their meal was going to come from. They just had the clothes on their, on their back. And, and Jesus is inviting them in this moment, like, don't, don't worry about the things of this world. Just trust me. And here in these verse, couple, couple verses, is really like it shows us why we are not to worry as followers of Jesus. Why we shouldn't worry. Like, look at um, verse 24. Jesus says, consider the ravens. Like, think about these birds. Like, anybody, like, think about the, the, uh, a raven. Like, a raven isn't the nicest bird to look at. Like, a raven isn't, like, this beautiful bird. Like, a raven is consider, was considered unclean. A raven is a scavenger. A raven is, like, you know, is not, like, a, a really majestic bird. And so Jesus is like, hey, consider the ravens. They don't, they don't freak out. They don't sow or reap. They don't have storehouses, yet God feeds them. And then he says this. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? I mean, first of all, Jesus' invitation for us not to worry is based on who we are. Like, you are so valuable. Like, do you believe that? You, you believe that you are so valuable that the King of Kings is madly in love with you. That He, he looks at you. It's, it's based on what I shared before, that as He sees you, He sees you through His Son, Jesus that you're his son or his daughter, that that is your identity, that you are so loved, that even Jesus or God takes care of the, the birds of the air, how much more will he take care of you? Do you believe that you're valuable? See, I know that there's this uh, saying all throughout the church and um, people will say like, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Oh, I'm just a sinner. And I know Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners, but throughout the New Testament, that is not language that people use. They don't view themselves as, oh, just a sinner saved by grace. No, once they put themselves in, uh, in a relationship with God through their faith in Jesus, they consider themselves as a saint. Like, do you view yourself as a saint? We tend to think like Mother Teresa is a saint or this other person who does nice things is a saint. No, through the blood of Jesus, you are a saint. You are beloved. And once you come to grips with that, that identity, not just in your heads, but in the depths of your soul, then why would you worry? Because you have a, a father who's a king that values you and loves you no matter if you drop a dish. You are loved. You are loved. That should lead us not to worry. But also, Jesus says something just so practical and so clear here in verse 26. He says, here's another reason you're, uh, you shouldn't worry. If then you are not able to do, like uh, verse 25, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Can anybody do that? Does worry produce anything? No. Worry doesn't produce anything at all. Like, okay, I want you to think about, we're going to experiment th with this right now. Like, I want you to think about something going on in your life that has been troubling you or something that you're facing, okay? Something going on in your life, something you, you all know what that is. And for the next like five seconds, I want you to really worry about it. Like really, really worry about it. Like just get, just get obsessed about it and just worry. No, if we do that, does that accomplish anything? No, if you have a smartwatch, the only thing it accomplishes is that you see your heart rate go up. 
Worry will straight, out, straight up kill you. If, if you worry too much, if you have this stress in your life, it just produces um, nothing good in our life. Proverbs 12 says, anxiety or worry in a man's heart weighs him down. And so Jesus, in his, his goodness and his grace towards us, says, don't worry because it's not good for you. But here's the thing about worry that I want us to pick up this morning. Worry isn't just being consumed with the cares of this world. Worry isn't just uh, thinking about things. Worry at its uh, the very foundation is a divided mind. See, the word that we get worry from in, in, in Scripture comes from two different words. One is divided and one is mind. Worry is a divided mind. What it's saying is like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe that God is there. But you know what? I also need to, to, to worry about this or, or take care of this myself. Worry is this divided mind. It's living a life with one foot, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, and one foot like, yeah, I still need to do things myself. And that is not the life that Jesus wants us to live. Jesus goes on, and he says this. He says, consider the lilies, how they grow They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And so Jesus says, stop stop thinking about those ravens. Stop thinking about those birds. Now let's look at a field. And he says, consider the lilies. Well, I didn't have a field of, of lilies, but I had a picture that I took a couple years of a field of poppies. Anybody remember that? Like, look at those. Look at that field. Okay, consider the fields. Consider the lilies. Or consider these flowers down in Fenville, Michigan. They were planted there. Are they in that picture striving? Or like, oh, I need to grow. Come on, buddy, grow. We're so worried. We've got to produce something. No, they just allow their roots to go deep into the ground and trust they're just going to grow. They're going to be provided for. They're going to get the rain that they need, and at the right time, they're going to bear fruit, or they're going to bloom. I mean, that's such a picture of how we as followers of Jesus need to live. With our roots firmly planted in Jesus, growing, hungering and thirsting for Him every single day, and trusting at the right time, we're going to produce a flower or we're going to bear fruit or whatever as we just abide in Him. But here's the problem, and Jesus gets at the heart of worry. Do you see the verse in there that He, or the words that He says? He says, consider the lilies. They don't, they don't stress out. And then He looked at His disciples and He says, oh, you of little faith. See, at the very foundation of worry, it's a lack of faith. It's a lack of faith. It's saying, you know what, God, I believe that you have the power to redeem me. You have the power to save me. You have the power to fill me with your Holy Spirit. You have the power to to do so much in my life. But when it comes to these small little matters, even though they're not small to us, but these these matters that, you know, I'm thinking about when it comes to -to day-to-day life, what we're saying when we worry is like, God, you can take care of all of this, but I don't trust you for this part of my life. I don't believe you have the power to take care of my life. But even worse... What it does, it causes us to look at God and have doubt, but then it also causes us to look at ourselves and put more faith in ourselves to figure it out than faith in God to take care of it. See, worry moves us from the all-sufficient power and goodness and grace of God 
to having us focus on our insufficiencies. And you know what? When I look at myself and I look at the things that life is throwing me and the things that I have coming ahead, if I were to look at myself, of course I would worry and freak out. And that's the problem. That's the problem with worry. Worry at the heart of it, and the thing that has helped me the most when it comes to worry is realizing that it's a sin. Worry is a sin. Because worry is putting faith in myself and not in God. And plus, on top of it, Jesus says, don't worry. He says so clearly, don't worry. And so when I'm worrying, I'm being disobedient to Jesus. And so when it comes to worry, worry is such an opportunity, or when things come in our life, it's such an opportunity to move away from anxiety and into something so much greater. Because look at, here's the cure for worry. Verse 29. Jesus says, don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Don't set your hearts on those, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Don't be like the world. Be different. Be set apart. When you look at the, at the news, when you look at the troubles in this world, when you look at all that's going on, don't be filled with fear. Don't react the same way. Instead, here's what you're to do. Instead, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. This is such a great invitation, and we see this all throughout Scripture. This is a, such a great invitation to come to the Lord over and over and over again, to move from anxiety and to move towards intimacy with the Lord. Every time you have a problem, every time you have a, a, a situation in your life that is overwhelming, this is such a great opportunity for you to fall on your knees, go boldly before the throne room of God, and say, here it is. You've told me not to worry, and instead of worrying, I'm coming to you in worship and saying, you have it under control, and I believe it. I don't know how you're going to figure this all out, but I believe that you have the power to do that. That is why we, as a community, are a praying community. And what happens during that prayer time and, and those interactions, like that is just as important as the rest of our service because here we are as a people crying out our hearts to, before the Lord saying, we want you to move here and here and here and here. And that's the desire. He wants us to cry out to Him. Instead of worry, it's an invitation to worship. Instead of a, 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 being filled with anxiety, our lives should be marked by intimacy with the Lord, a deep knowing of the Lord. Is that true of your life? Are you taking every opportunity, every overwhelming situation, are you taking it as an opportunity to seek first the kingdom of God? I mean, we understand this verse in our minds. It's not complicated. The difficulty comes in the doing. Are we really living this way? Do we believe, do we believe these words? That if we seek first his kingdom, everything else is going to be added. Jesus goes on and he says this, and this is where I'll wrap up. He says this, fear not, little flock. I like how Jesus calls them little flock. He's just a little sheep, a little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Sell your possessions. Don't allow this world to have a grip of your heart. Give to the needy. Give to those who are in need. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches or no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
But verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure, your father, your father who is a king, it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you all that you need. And then he goes on, he says, store up your treasures in heaven, sell your possessions, give to the poor. When was the last time you've done that? No, honestly, when was the last time you did that? Like, don't have to answer out loud, but when was the last time you did something like that? And the reason I think Jesus is saying this is because when we do that, when we sell our possessions and we give to the poor, when we give it away, it um, unlocks, unlocks our heart um, and the grip that this world has on our heart. And it says, you know what? I'm storing up treasures in heaven. I'm living with this eternity in mind. I'm living for eternity. I'm not living for this world. I'm living for his kingdom. And so the father says, fear not. Fear not. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to give you all that you need. And so this morning, are you living a divided life? Are you living a, with a divided mind when it comes to things that, that come your way? Or are you living with this singular purpose, this singular focus, so focused on the kingdom? I truly believe, truly believe the Lord wants to highlight the things in our hearts that we have allowed to take priority over Him. Is there anything that has become more priority, maybe something that you're obsessed about more than the kingdom? God's inviting you through the power of His Spirit to, to repent of that. And repent is saying, no, I was walking this way, and now I'm walking this way. To put that in the past. Because He wants us to live a life of devotion to Him and to Him alone. I want us to pray right now. And then we're going to sing. So um, Ben and Rebecca, you can get up there. Holy Spirit, I just ask right now that you would reveal the things in our life that have more of a hold on our lives than Jesus. I invite you, Holy Spirit, right now to even reveal things that, that aren't super obvious. Things that we didn't maybe initially think of. Things that we think are fine. Is there anything in our lives that we're holding on to more than you?